This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. So there, there was this moment in my life when I needed to interview the rapper Busta Rhymes for the radio. And this is friend of the show, Sean Cole. And so I, I tried calling his people, which got me pretty much nowhere. So I then tried Googling um, Busta Rhymes and Boston, which is where I was living at the time because I figured maybe he's coming on tour and I could ambush him backstage or something. Um, and one of the first results I got was a map, like on Google Maps, of a little pond in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, which is this little town outside of Boston. And in the pond was this teeny speck of land labeled Busta Rhymes Island. What? <laughs> so, needless to say, I was a little confused. I mean, you have to understand, like, Shrewsbury is, like, the least likely... I mean, first of all, the, for there to be a Buster Rhymes Island anywhere is pretty unlikely. But, but Shrewsbury is, like, this bedroom community for Worcester. It's not even... It's, like, the most exciting thing to do there on a Saturday night is go to Chili's after, <laughs> like, shopping at Lumber Liquidators. Um, and I was like, is this for real? And then underneath the link for the map was another link to this short little kind of blurb in the Boston Globe with the headline, Buster Rhymes Island is for real. <laughs> and, and they interviewed... Um, Wait, did they, did they interview Buster Rhymes? No, they interviewed Buster Rhymes. They interviewed this guy uh, named Kevin O'Brien who lives in a house overlooking the pond. It's, Mill Pond is the name of it. And who, this is still true, lists his phone number as the number to call if you want to contact the island. So he's the guy who named the island. He's the one who named the island. And this is a quote from the the Boston Globe piece. This guy, Kevin, says, It's a very small little island with rope swinging, blueberries, and stuff Busta would enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) This is adorable. So, So just to give you a sense of the differences between Busta Rhymes and Busta Rhymes Island... Um, you mean other than the fact that one of them is like an internationally known, really fast rapper with 10 albums to his credit, <laughs> and the other one being... Being an island, a, exactly. A tiny yeah, island. Right, yeah. yes. <laughs> no man is an island, after especially all. Not, especially not Busta Rhymes. Busta Rhymes, yes. But also, just sonically, um, Busta Rhymes sounds like this. And Busta Rhymes Island sounds like this. So what about this island would you say bespeaks Busta Rhymes? I, I, I'd say just pretty much the kind of feel of it. This is Kevin O'Brien. I drove out to Shrewsbury to spend some time with him on the island. It was cold, February. We walked across the ice to get there. A little more about Kevin. He's in his early 30s, works in tech support, and DJs weddings on the weekends. You know, if you come out here in the summertime, it's a really nice, relaxing place to be. It's, it's dead silent. Uh, it's it's just really really low key and who wouldn't like those aren't aspects of Buster Rhymes dead silent and he, low key he, he 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 meditates. Kevin started canoeing out to the island about ten years ago now when he and his wife first moved here. The pond is practically in their front yard. And when you say it's a teeny tiny speck of land, you mean it's like, like... forty feet by forty feet, <laughs> and that and there is a rope swing uh, hanging from one of the trees. 
and blueberry bushes, which Kevin planted. He doesn't just visit the island a bunch. He takes care of the island. Cleans up after the teenagers who leave beer cans lying around. Drinks beer himself on the island with his wife and their friends. And when you love a place the way Kevin loves this place, you don't want to refer to it generically. That just doesn't feel respectful. So, one day... I was sitting around with my friend Brandon, and um, we just started talking about how we were always coming over the island, and he asked what its name was, and I said, oh, it doesn't really have a name. So we started saying, well, how about Buster Rhymes Island? You love Buster Rhymes. Everybody loves Buster Rhymes. And I'm like, all right, you know what? That sounds great, because telling somebody the directions to my house saying, oh, you know, just look up Buster Rhymes Island on Google Maps and follow your way there. And I think that sounds a lot better than saying Mill Pond. So we went, we went with Buster Rhymes, and we have a lot of respect for him. So how did you get it on Google Maps? We just, uh, just applied a geotag to it. It's that easy? It's that easy. And really, the whole thing would seem like a big joke if it weren't for all the effort Kevin went through to try to make the name stick. Around the time I contacted him, he submitted a formal proposal to the U.S. Board on Geographic Names, which decides what the federal government is going to call a piece of land. He showed me the proposal. Feature class, island. Meaning or significance? Busta Rhymes is a gravel-voiced rapper we all have an incredible amount of respect for. Supporting materials? No. They turned him down. But not for the reasons you might think. The only way you can name the island or a body of land after a celebrity is in a commemorative fashion. So that person has to be deceased for five years. So unfortunately, it really can't be official until uh, Busta passes. Um, That could be a long time. I'm willing to wait. So someone has to be dead for five years before the board will consider naming a place after that person. That's right. Why five years? Yeah, I wondered the same thing. So I called up Lou Yost, who's the executive secretary at the U.S. Board on Geographic Names. Regarding domestic names, names in the United States. Foreign names is another committee. Anyway. When someone passes away, uh, soon after a person's death, it's an emotional time, and they're close relatives and friends feel they want to do something to to honor this person and um, the five-year waiting period just just lets it settle do are people disappointed when you tell them about the five-year yeah uh, there's some are disappointed but after we explain uh, the reasoning they while they're disappointed they they agree uh, or at least they say they agree with the policy that it, that it has to be still want to name an island after that person half a decade later type of sentimentality. Right. Lou Yost says the board actually discourages naming places after people at all. It'd rather the name be feature-based, that is, having something to do with the way an island or a mountain or a river looks or sounds or how big it is, rather than who homesteaded there. But with the exploration of the West and Alaska, it was bound to happen. Oh, so th- these guys have been around a long time. Oh, the board's been around since 1890. Wow. And then he told me that six days after JFK was shot, so 1963, Lyndon Johnson announced that Cape Canaveral would be renamed Cape Kennedy to commemorate the president. It was Jackie Kennedy's idea. Well, people in Florida did not like that at all. Why not? Well, I mean, it had been called Cape Canaveral for like 400 years. And I didn't know this. Canaveral is a Spanish word. Cañaveral. It roughly means a plantation of canes or reeds. Cañaveral. Anyhow, 10 years later, the Florida legislature voted to change the name back from Cape Kennedy to Cape Canaveral, and the board went along with it. And it was this event that led to the one-year waiting period. 
But I thought it was a five-year waiting period. It was one year then, and, and it changed to five years in, in 1995. Gotcha. And there has never, never been an <laughs> exception to the rule since then. No naming places after people who have been dead less than five years. And certainly no naming a place after someone who's still alive. If the board starts naming features for, for living people and then they go on and do something uh, heinous, <laughs> it's not going to look, look good. Buster Rhymes is being accused of using gay slurs at a fast food restaurant in Miami. This was at uh, Cheeseburger Baby in Miami Beach, and he was apparently there for some promotional purposes. And it's a 24-hour restaurant. He went there late at night with his posse, and there was a very, very long line. And I'm looking, oh, there it is. But as I was learning about all of this, I remembered this one place that had been named after someone, not while he was living, but not that long after he died either. And here we are in Central Square in Cambridge. Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I was born. There's a black sign in the sidewalk that says Mark Sandman Square, the corner of Brookline Street and Mass Ave. Mark Sandman's another musician. He was the lead singer of the band Morphine. He died in 1999. He just collapsed on stage during a concert in Italy. And then just one year later, this sign went up on this corner. Right outside the Middle East. The Middle East nightclub, where Sandman used to perform. Or just hang out. The sign was Joseph Sater's idea. He's one of the owners of the Middle East. Do you remember the, dedica- the dedication ceremony? I think just public work called us and they said the sign is ready, you know? So when they put the sign up, we put the flowers and a bunch of friends and, you know, and we had a little party, you know, in his memory and thinking of the good time. So wait, so how was Joseph able to dedicate the corner to Mark Sandman only one year after he died when the regulation says that he has to wait at least five years? From the way you're explaining it, it would have been relegated to the city of Cambridge. This is Lou Yost again at the U.S. Board on Geographic Names. A square or or a city park or building would be what we uh, consider an administrative feature. And the board has uh, relegated that the authority to name those features to, to the local uh, administrating agency. So if it was in a city, it would be up to the city what they wanted to name uh, the park. Nonetheless, I explained the five-year rule to Joseph at the Middle East and how, especially in that first year, of course everybody wants to name something after their loved one who died. Everybody yeah. want to stop on the wagon. They want to name every. They want to name everything after. Everything him. after him. You know. No, I understand. No, it wasn't like this was my. You know, I mean, definitely we missed him. He moved on. We get cheated by not having him around, but. It wasn't emotional, it's, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, it wasn't an emotional thing, is it? No, not at all. It was like, it's to keep, you know, a friend around, you know. They did a lot in this community. Every time we call on him for fundraising or a show, you know, he's there to play for free or barely any money, so... Definitely, he did uh, due diligence socially, you know. What would he think of the sign, do you think, of the square? He'd laugh at us. He would? You no, know, Mark, he would laugh, you know, but it doesn't matter, you know. I also got in touch with the mayor's office in Cambridge to ask what the criteria are for naming a corner of the city after someone. They sent me the application you fill out when you want one of those signs hammered into the sidewalk. 
Mark Sandman would have fit under the category distinguished careers by present or former residents who have achieved state or national fame. And then I asked them if the person in question had to be deceased, and they didn't respond. Uh, But on the application, it says deceased with a question mark and then a box to check. So that makes it sound like you can memorialize people who are still alive. Or it's just like a test because, and they just remove all the ones that are, you know, still alive. Right. Right, They automatically automatically kick those out. Exactly. Or something. But then I started noticing those black commemorative signs everywhere, all around Cambridge. There's John T. Johnny Collins Square, Commander Francis X. Buddy Foster Square, Robert E. Goodman Road. It's been very loose. Um, this is Charlie Sullivan with the Cambridge Historical Commission. Anyone who is interested in having a square named after a family member, like this, there's one of those signs right on the corner. Helen and John Black Square. Could just ask a city councilor and they would put in a council order and the city would do it. So we have intersections in some parts of town that have one of those signs on each of the four corners. Really? Yeah. It's a preponderance of dedications a preponderance yeah proliferation of dedications you seem you seem uh, not so pleased by that well it gets to be a little bit of a clutter after a while and they begin to lose their meaning so I think the city council is a little more resistant than they used to be they're running out of places to put these signs so uh, just to be clear, these places, they're not recognized by the U.S. Board of Geographic Names. Right. So they're not on federal maps or used by the federal government in any way. But that said, local usage is something the board takes into account when it's evaluating a proposal. And not just the local authority recognizing the name, but the locals, like those folks up there. In that house. In that house. Over yonder. Exactly. This is Kevin O'Brien again. That Buster Rhymes Island. We would basically have to go to them and say, hey, do you know the name of that island? And if they were to say, oh, that's Buster Rhymes Island or whatever else we're going to name it, um, then that would be considered local usage. So if if local folks know what to call it and everybody calls it that, then you have a lot more uh, a lot more weight going to the government and saying, I'd like to name this island this. But as far as Kevin knows, nobody except for him and his wife and their friends call this island anything. We spent about an hour on the island together. As I say, it was very cold. And just as we were about to leave, these two kids who'd been skating out in the middle of the pond came wandering over. Two boys, maybe 10 years old. Good morning. Morning. What you doing? Doing a radio story about this island. Do you know anything about this island? No. I just moved here. Oh, did you? Two weeks ago. Well, if you, uh, if you look up this island on Google Maps, do you know what it's called? No. It's called Busta Rhymes Island. Busta Rhymes? Do you know who that is? Nope. He's a rapper. Why would this be named after him? He named it after him. I named it after him. Because he's a big fan. Because I'm a big fan, yeah. What would you name this island if you could name it something? Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Wait, wait, uh, the Shrewsbury Island, I guess. The Shrewsbury Island? Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a favorite uh, musician or anything like that? Uh, no. No, I don't either. Okay. Feel free to come up to Buster Rhymes Island anytime, though. Hey. <laughs> Good to meet you guys. Good to see you. Local usage, man. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. just witnessed Buster Rhymes Island being used. That's right. That's right. 
I did. <laughs> we just conned them into it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We just conned them into it. I should say, I did try contacting Buster Rhymes again. Told his managers all about the island, said I wanted to interview him. And again, they never responded. Also, a few days after I first emailed them, I went back on Google Maps and the geotag was gone. I contacted Kevin right away. It was the first he'd heard of it. And he said, well, I know what I have to do. Add it again and see how long it takes to be taken down again. Sure enough, a couple weeks later, Buster Rhymes Island was back on the map, like Mount Rainier appearing and disappearing with the weather. And not long after that, a friend of mine randomly met Busta in a bar in New York. She was dating a guy who knew him. And when she asked him about the island, Busta said, this is a quote, Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I heard about that. Invisible was produced this week by Sean Cole with Sam Greenspan, Katie Mengel, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 local public radio KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, a brilliant architecture firm that we love rubbing elbows with every single day in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from our generous and stylish listeners and from Squarespace. The all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own website or portfolio. I ask you to send me your Squarespace-created sites. And this week, I want to direct your attention to Cartosia Tales at cartosia.com. That's C-A-R-T-O-Z-I-A.com. A collaborative fantasy indie comic book series, which has a particular focus on cartography, which gives it direct access to my soul. If you want to make your own Squarespace site and online store, sign up for a free trial right now at squarespace.com. And if you decide to purchase... Use the offer code INVISIBLE and save 10%. That's squarespace.com and use the offer code INVISIBLE. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Stalwart life-changing support is also provided by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My friend Alexis Magical always has something to say. What do you have to say, Alexis? So there's this incredible site called deadmalls.com that just catalogs hundreds of malls across the United States that are, have declining attendance and are mostly empty, including the Duck Creek Plaza in Bettendorf, Iowa. That is just one of five intriguing things delivered every weekday on Alexis's Tiny Letter newsletter, of which I am a subscriber. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind MailChimp. We are a founding member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collective of the most interesting, cutting-edge, audio-rich radio programs in the world. This week on The Truth, The Sound Extractor. The sounds we make don't just fade away. They become embedded in the objects around us, our walls, the ceiling, the chairs you're sitting in right now. They're all receptors for the moving air molecules that push gently on everything they reach, compressing expanding, imprinting their artifacts like rings on a tree. And I've developed a technology to listen. Sounds good, doesn't it? 
Subscribe to The Truth and all of our fellow Radiotopians at radiotopia.fm. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and our launch sponsor, MailChimp, who celebrate creativity, chaos, and teamwork. If you're interested in supporting this and other podcasts like it, email sponsor at prx.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars. Sam tweets at Sam Listens. Avery tweets at Truffleman. Katie Mingle sometimes tweets at Katie Mingle. We also have this really great Tumblr that Avery takes care of, which you know is the law because she's the youngest. But if you would, do us a kindness and tell everyone you know to subscribe to the show at 99pi.org. Radio Tokyo.